0: Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. I'm very excited, very uh, thrilled you know, that we launched this program here at the Commonwealth Club with John Zipper, who's my co-host. Usually every Thursday afternoons, we do the taping of the podcast here, uh, but we got a special treat. All thanks to Scott Walton over at SHN for hooking us up with this special, special, incredible afternoon, this Wednesday afternoon with... All four of this amazing talent. There's so much talent here, and uh, I don't know if we're going to have a conversation or they're just going to combust into a cosmic ball of energy that brings us all up to heaven and drops us off as their prodigies. That. And, <laughs>
1: That's what we're going to do the plan. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I know most of you, you know, we know all, all four of them, and so I won't uh, take up too much time in, in reading their bios, because that will just be all afternoon. Um, so I'll introduce them one by one, the great... Pulitzer Prize-winning Tony Award-winning James Lapine uh, yeah. Yeah. Choreographer of falsettos here with us Spencer Liff oh. Producer falsettos and many others and you can you know Google it all but uh, I think for the purpose of today's talk We're, we're talking about falsettos. So Jordan Roth And also, a composer and the uh, 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 the original of falsettos, uh, William Finn, the great William <laughs> Finn. Bill. And you know my co-host, John Zapruder. <laughs> <laughs> We've never won a Tony Award. Well. Uh, Yeah. So (laughs) Falsetto is a groundbreaking musical um, that that features or talks about a modern contemporary Jewish family. Marvin, a gay man, leaves his wife, Trina, and we go through the complexities of human relationships between his young son, um, Jason, and his lover or partner, uh, Wizard, and his psychiatrist, um, Bernal. and we have the creators here. So I thought, you know, we will just go there and, I, and we'll start with Bill um, over on the other end. And... Unfortunate, <laughs> but
2: go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great.
0: I mean, I think that, you know, if you've seen the, the revival um, in 2015, and even if you saw it in, in the, the first uh, production on Broadway, um, you might not be very clear on how it all started. So I think starting with you is appropriate. Uh, many
2: years ago, I just got out of Williams College, and <clears throat> I was calling myself a writer and not writing, and so I invited a few friends over to my house, um, Alison Frazier and Mary Tess and Kay Pesek, and and I, and I said, uh, just sing these songs, cook some chicken wings, which I'll buy, because I had no money, that was, that was the only thing I could afford, And um, and we started singing these songs, and about Two two months later, I said, why don't we make a show? So they said, sure. And so we invited people over. I, I borrowed chairs from the temple across the street, and um, and we made a show. But it wasn't this show. It was in Trousers, which, and, you know, and, and Playwrights Horizons, the place where it was done, they said, we, we like you. We want, want uh, to control your life. And um, <laughs> so... They 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 gave me money and and applied for grants for me and and um, And then they commissioned me to write a show which turned into March of the falsettos And that's how it started And and how did when did you
3: know what story you wanted to tell in these
2: until the pine told me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't know before then
3: I mean, was it that much of a collaboration, or did... did uh... No,
2: it, it, it was that much of a collaboration. He, he, There was a bulletin board, a cork bulletin board, and we, and we put um, notes on it, and eventually they told a story. You know, we had the song, we had a few songs, we stuck the songs there, and then we said, let's write a song about this, let's write a song about that, let's write a song about that. And James said... Uh, I work well with children. Why don't you put a child in it? And he became the center of, of the show. The, the show revolved around, around the child. And he directed it brilliantly, unbelievably brilliantly. So, James, that's pretty
1: high praise. <laughs> yeah. Bill, what can I say but thank you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a, a puzzle piece is what we did, because Bill had written a few songs and had these characters in mind, and then I kind of brought um, with these index cards, it kind of solved itself, because it was all if you don't know the
2: show, it's all sung through There's no, it not- solved itself if, 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 you're, if you're a logical thinker which he is, then I'm not so that's why it solved itself okay. sorry go ahead <laughs> Uh,
1: I'm speechless, actually. (laughs) Uh, Well, on the board, you know, it became like, well, this one had a song, and this one had a song, and they had a song, and so this one hasn't had a song, so we'll put them there. And then you had to, the story was almost kind of built a little backwards in its way, because we had to figure out how to routine it's only five people in the first act so that's actually a bit of a challenge to actually do an hour 15 minute show with five people and to figure out what numbers are group numbers what are solo numbers what does each of them have to say what's the dramatic impulse how are we going to end it and um it kind of came uh What's nice about it was back in a time when uh, non-profit theater actually would just give you a room and money and time, and they said, here, four weeks, make a show. We made a show. They invite the New York Times, it gets a rave review, and suddenly you have a career. So that's kind of what happened. Look How at, hard
0: is that? <laughs>
1: <yeah>. <laughs> just add water.
0: Yeah, make it.
1: It doesn't happen anymore is, I guess, the point, sadly.
0: Um, I, you know, seeing the, the revived version uh, and uh, it was not there for the 1992 original young. version. But but the storylines are still very similar, the same. And one of the things that I picked out of that, I mean, now in 2019, we can talk about a lot of LGBTQ issues being out, being liberated. Mm. But But I was very surprised by it not just being lgbtq focus but many of these um issues that we would be closeted about and not just about the identity i mean you know a father comes out uh comes out to his wife comes out to his child and her the psychiatrist which many people would think is extremely um you know there's some taboo in that Mm -hmm. and and then so to to tell these stories during that time um yeah, I think it's... A, I almost kind of would say, what, what were you thinking? I mean, were you like, this is... We're going to change the way people tell stories right here, no, right but now. I, I
2: was very conscious about trying not to write a, a show about how painful it was coming out. I just wanted that to be the assumption. And, and that's why it seems so modern now, I think.
1: It was pretty audacious. I mean, I remember... Well, Bill kept wanting me to have them kissing on stage and I I'm was...
2: not sure I did. I think I might have won a success more than kissing on stage. Well
1: at that time. You did want kissing on stage, which <laughs> I have nothing against, but at that time I thought we're already in so many people's faces. You know. The first number is four Jews in a room bitching. So you had the Jews. <laughs> who make up all of New York theater, they were... <laughs> who
2: don't know I'm Jewish. And then... And, and are very offended. Yes, they think uh, he's
1: the Irish, so that... <laughs> you've got letters, how dare you write about Jews that way, and people angry and walking out. And then you've got, you know, heteros who are suddenly realizing it's a show about a guy who's been married and and leaves his wife and child for another man. So, I mean, there were a lot of, you know, we we we... We only really pressed a lot of buttons. and um, But it had a kind of... Uh, it was in a little theater. We had, like, sometimes midnight shows. It was very... Though it wasn't downtown, downtown. But it was interesting that um, to look back on it now. And now you see the guys naked in bed, and they kiss and everything, and nobody bats an eyelash. But... Back then it was. They I, hoot and holler
4: now. What? Kids in the bed, and they, we get cheers and whistles from the audience now. <laughs> and, now and, yeah. and from Trousers, teenage girls.
2: <laughs> sorry. And to the original show, has a song called Wizard Going Down about uh, a guy getting a blowjob. And I, I thought, well, this is the end of my career. And then I thought, well, I don't have a career, so <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't much matter. <laughs>
0: I'm going to borrow that quote and wake up to it every morning uh, <laughs> to you know and play I of the tiger. Uh Jordan in you know producing the revival and and a lot of the questions that I want to ask is how much of the the storyline the narratives kind of fit into your personal lives as well and what you could take out of it. So being that this whole entire show is about, you know, the family unit uh the again the complexities of human relationships we'd love to hear your thoughts on how you personally are attached to the revival itself well so
5: i first encountered um falsettos after all the playwrights productions and then it was put together um for the broadway production and i was in my late teens and i saw it at the golden theater and i thought that's my life or what it could be, um, and it always stayed with me. It was, it was this show and this music, because I just think it's just like what, what we sound like on the inside. And it buried itself in me and I grew with it. And then, this one fateful night, I was with Lapine at a dinner, we were talking, Didn't know each other, really. Barely knew each other, totally. And he stopped kind of mid-story and said, so what's your bucket list show? And I said, I I cannot believe you are asking me this because it is yours and it is falsetto's.
3: Um,
5: And it wasn't really a list. It was one. Mm. And it was that. Um, And by that time, I was married with one son, now two sons, (laughs) Um, and so that hunch, I think I had that this could be me was sort of me. Yeah.
3: That is interesting. I mean, in some ways it seems like it's very much a story of a time, but we're almost kind of saying, no, this, this, this moves with, you know, people who were not, you know, out and about, uh, living open gay lives or even closeted gay lives in the seventies or eighties. I mean, it's a story that that worked in 92 it's a story that's working here in 2019 um i'm kind of curious what are you hearing from audiences today and who are is the audience are they still oh my god bill finn he's not jewish is he (laughs) i think they figured that out (laughs) they wikipedia
5: didn't for totally yeah but no i think it's um they're younger really they are younger which is amazing yeah and really great theater has something to say to us always. Um, the, the question, there was that question always of, is this, is this relevant now? Um, and always a story that is true and honest has something to say to us. I'm really actually excited about the next revival. 20 years, 30
1: years? <laughs> we won't be here, but it's up to you. <laughs> I'll be
5: here. We'll be here. You'll be Whenever here. Whenever you
1: want. You'll be here. Come on. I, I personally don't think it should ever end. I think it should just keep oh, traveling Oh, even better.
5: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Infinite National Tour. There you go. <laughs> yeah. The film version. Who knows?
0: So Spencer, I mean, you know, we started off talking about the show and, and its creation, and yes, it touches on some some serious topics, uh, but it also uh, is fun and it's funny, and there's a lot that's happening on stage. And so, as choreographer, you know, how do you how do you how do you take these stories and 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 then you know put people into positions and body language that can translate the heavy stuff? to Mm. the not so heavy stuff and then make people feel all these emotions all throughout two and a half hours.
4: Well, the emotions are there in the text and in the performances. Uh, The show certainly does touch on every emotion and the whole first act. I mean, it's it's a roller coaster before you even get to the second act, which is a lot of people sort of uh, equate this show with the AIDS crisis, which actually isn't until the very end of the show. Uh, I was not familiar with the show in, in the way that, you know, all three of these men were, I, I had the the pleasure and the the pressure of being the, the younger, fresh voice that was, I think uh, uh, James reached out, I think to have a, a take on it, the way that we look at theater now, it's, you know, it's, everything is staged differently it's a lot slicker it's a lot there's a lot of money in everything and it was like how do you take this production that found its legs in this very underground space and put it on broadway and and not forget what it was but make it you know watchable to a modern audience i think that was a big part of of what i did and then there's no kicks and turns in this show it doesn't it doesn't call for that and and it's really about you know just just trying to support these characters and what they're going through. And the dance actually came very easily when it was time to do steps. Um, we had a brilliant cast of original actors in New York that we found it all in the room. We had four amazing weeks at Lincoln Center in the rehearsal studios to to, to find this show. Um, and the, the big new part of our show was this actual puzzle piece that was our set, which was these all of these different blocks that start in one perfect square and they get ripped apart throughout the show and and the actors physically have to build the world for each other and, and rip it down and build up another world. And and that allowed us, you know, a, a way to find the show physically in an entirely new way.
0: There's so much, I mean, to it that even as someone who, you know, as a viewer and all these questions, like how do they how did they put this all together? I mean, everybody's mm-hmm. mind is so different, but it tells a story so well, John.
3: Well, actually, I wanted to stay on that. I mean, James, when you started looking for a choreographer, I, to, I first of all, not being a, a Broadway person, you, the, the director hires their choreographer. Am I correct, or is that? Yeah, but cares?
1: it's uh, Bill, Bill weighs in on it, and Bill knew okay. Spencer's work from television rather well.
2: I love that. So what do so you think so you, what is, so you think you can dance who's seen that?
3: Yeah.
2: Spencer choreographs for them did Yeah, you did you recommend uh, Spencer? No, I, I but I also saw his brilliant production of spring awakening as did I and uh, that's
4: what I woke up to an email one morning from James the Pine. Said James the pine and <laughs> That surely can't be the James the Pine I've never <laughs> met emailing me, and he and he said I would love to chat with you, and we we had a long conversation, yeah, we're not we're about the show, about. No. no, never talked about the show. He's great in interviews. He's also great with actors when they come in the room to audition. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot from that. You know, he always asked them, "What's your middle name? Where are you from? Where'd you go to school?" All these things that you know, he just wants to know who you are. And so we talked probably two or three times before we ever really dove mm-hmm. into what the show was. Um, and then he sent me to Lincoln Center Library, their incredible archive there. And, and he said, watch the show. Uh, and I had done, this was my third revival. I did the revival of Hedwig and Spring Awakening and never went back and looked at the original productions because I didn't want it to weigh on what I, how I saw the show. But he insisted that I go see it, which was great. I fell in love with it. Um, and that, yeah, that's how, that's how I came on board.
0: So tonight in San Francisco is the premiere of the Lincoln Center Revival and I'm not sure if if anything's changed or has any like what is that what does it mean when we say there's a uh, revival and is the show any different tonight besides cast members?
1: Well, that's not a small thing cuz mm-hmm. cast members bring the change to anything you do, you don't ask somebody to come in and give somebody else's performance right. so this is an extraordinary cast, totally on par with the Broadway cast, but they bring a whole other uh, energy and sensitivity to it and um, make this a unique production in its way, I would say
3: For the sake of not just the folks in the room but everyone listening to this let's, let's do, if you will, almost the commercial of how long is it going to be playing how can, where can people go to get Information on it. Um, put you on the spot, James. I have no idea. <laughs> it's
0: at the SHN or uh, no. Golden Gate Theater all through uh, mid-April, I believe. I believe
4: April 14th. Yeah, it yeah. plays until the Golden Gate uh, at the Golden Gate Theater.
0: Yeah.
3: So go online to SHN uh, Golden Gate.
0: Yeah. My my question was more of uh, who the new cast members are. Yeah, let's talk about and the and the excitement around the cast since they make the show.
1: Well, they're, I could say, pretty much people that we all knew from their work in other Broadway shows. And, um, in fact, many of them didn't even audition. We just offered it to people we thought would be really great at it. And and, uh, they're actors who don't often go out on the road. But the unique thing about this show is they get to play really big parts and sing really great music and you know when you're only one of five in, a, in the first act and one of seven in the second you really have a lot to do and I think this show offers a unique opportunity for really top drawer performers to have a chance to dig into something and play it night after night and find things and they're extraordinary company um, but Because it's sung through, there's a limited number of people who really can do it because it's vocally. Really limited. (laughs) And and he writes notes that, you know, four people can actually hit. So uh, it's, it's a challenge, but it's a thrill.
0: So speaking of that, what's also groundbreaking about Falsettos is the yes, everything is through you know songs and singing, and it's somewhat uh, the the first of its kind, or it's opened doors for other shows like Dear Evan Hansen in this conversational kind of singing. And so I wanted to ask Bill, I mean, to uh, from my perspective at least, in in thinking about contemporary shows, and to say that. You know, your show opened up the doors for for this format, for this style, and truly, you know, other. It's true, but queer let's not stories. talk about it. No, <laughs> no. no? But I, I it's, get. It's, I don't. I get it. It's but. really true. I, I
2: tried to r- r- I try to write lyrics that sound like they're just making them up on the spot, and in fact, I got reviewed. Um, when I started out, is people said he just makes them up on the spot, obviously, and they he just they're Im- improvised, and which is so untrue. They're very rigorously chosen, and the rhymes are placed throughout throughout the lines. They're not at all improvised, but um, I'm glad that people thought they were because that was the intention. Mm-hmm. Do you, in the they right- should have been smart enough to realize they <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: When a play is revived I mean, do you revisit it and do any
2: I revisited this one I, You know, for 25 years Or how many years it's been 35, 40 years um, I've been having to go to the show And seeing productions And I think, oy vey That's unbelievably bad <laughs> and, and, um, and so now I got a chance to fix it and that was really fun. You know, so I made it much better, I think.
1: He's talking about the improviso- improvisatory lyrics yes. that he has decided to
2: make better. Yeah, I'm I'm sure some people thought I screwed it up, but I don't. Nobody thought you screwed it up. Whatever. <laughs> I, I, I liked it I like it much more. This is the version I like. Mm.
0: We normally open up uh, time with our audience to ask our panelists questions. And so I think we'll do that right now. I'm curious to know uh, from all the panelists how you feel about the recorded version,
3: like uh, video streaming of various shows, because I know Falsettos was one of them. So to be able to have captured that particular production versus a uh, live performance, the latter of which I I really prefer, but it's nice to be able to have something not just in an archive, but something that is uh, more readily available to the public. Thoughts?
4: I'll, okay. I was gonna. I, nothing can ever replace live theater, but we have to accept that not everybody has access to it. And I think for a show like this, you know, before we knew we were going on a tour, it was a fantastic way of getting it seen by more audience members. I also think that what they did with falsettos was—it's one of the best that they have filmed. They really respected the story. They were wide when they needed to be wide, as the choreographer. They so often cut in tight, and you miss things. And they understood that the. The transitions were so part of the storytelling. They left all that in. And then you got the added benefit of getting really in close for some close-ups. And you could see choices with the performers that, that enhanced their performances beyond what you could see you know, from, from afar. But um, I was proud of what they did with the film. I'm so glad it existed. And you should still absolutely come out and see this production live, because if you have the opportunity, that's what this show is meant to be. It's how it should be experienced. I have to ask how do you feel
3: because i've talked to musicians about this and uh, they actually have conflicting views on it how do you feel about the people who are sitting in the audience filming you
2: i love Uh, that you do seriously just just, you yeah you you get a a version that you sometimes don't see otherwise even for me
4: Uh, actors don't love it it's uh, not it's not the way to do it but you know and they're there the argument is there they're like well Not everyone can see it and people should be able to and you know And I the ticket prices are very high and they do keep some people from getting to see it But that the illegal version is not what you should do is support those streaming sites so that they can Can properly film more shows? That's that's the way to do it.
1: Yeah, and it's distracting when people are in the audience bringing out their cameras and filming things. I mean, it's it's,
2: Yeah, but some things are changed and and they're getting things In a different version that that you would forget. Otherwise, I Think also I'm talking from
5: a writer's view. I think also there's a difference between the bootleg and Taking a photograph of something which has become a very meaningful way in which we process our experiences now For better or worse. I'm talking Um, about bootlegs. I I get it. (laughs) But I think you know, it's a wider (laughs) wide-ranging conversation Um, and that is a thing that we've really had to grapple with in the theater um, because it, it, it for many years, was no pictures, no video, no nothing. We'll literally cut your arms off. <laughs> um, and there was a switch, this this switch of sort of recognizing what taking a picture or taking a short video has come to mean in our world and how, how um, much that is a way in which we truly connect to the thing that we're doing. Um, And so in a lot of our shows now, we even have inserts in the programs that say, please enjoy the show. You'll have an opportunity at the curtain call to take a picture. And that's all people want to know is that this whole experience won't pass me by without getting to process it in a way that has come to be very meaningful. Um, And that really is about balancing what i think james and spencer are talking about this sort of sanctity of the experience with recognizing that if the theater is to be part of the modern culture it has to allow for ways in
4: which we engage in the modern culture the playbill snapshot picture that goes on instagram is also a huge marketing tool with a show that's just getting going you want those people to tag your show and post that picture of the playbill or the bows. So many theaters do now allow that. And I absolutely agree with you, Jordan. The
5: Instagrammable set as you come into the theater is now something a lot of people think about um, because we're recognizing that this is how audiences are engaging. And so if we're part of that conversation, that has to be in our, in our design brain. And let me tell you, when you come to Falsettos, it's a very Instagrammable opening <laughs> moment.
2: <laughs> How did what you do as a choreographer differ from the first production? Mm. Well, it
4: was uh, James the Pine was the choreographer of the first version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I had big of I'm them. not a choreographer, believe um, me. That's the difference. We had a choreographer. I, uh, <laughs> I, one of the first things I said to him uh, if you saw the original production, everything was on wheels, but it was like revolutionary at the time that he put all this furniture on wheels and that was, you know, and it all moved so quickly. The show moves at such a fast pace. So I think one of the first things I said was, I will do it, but nothing can be on wheels because instantly then you're going to get compared to and you're going to be stuck in a place of well we did this then and I you know so when we met with with Rockwell and came up with this set design I thought well what it was an incredible way to keep it as an actor driven set that had nothing to do with wheeling stuff around so while it was terrifying and very complicated to figure out those block moves uh, it it just it allowed us. I think it was it was the perfect solution. Um, and then I and then we did dance a little more than than they did in the original production. Probably they
2: certainly more. didn't. It was fabulous. Um, you like? And my, it was based like on, on like like the, the um, what what's the Jewish su- singing? Oh my did a lot of did a, a lot, lot of, of
4: Jewish dancing references yes. in this show. Um, but it was you know I I didn't feel pressure. I felt a lot of support from. From, from James and Bill and the, and the boys at Lincoln Center and uh, who had done it originally, there was a lot of people in the room watching me choreograph that were part of the original production. Um, but it, it wasn't anything ever, but just, you know, they were, they were happy to have a fresh pair of eyes on it, I think.
1: Going back to the choreography part of it, did you have in the rehearsal room prototypes of the the block
3: but
4: we had the real thing that yeah. was oh. but we didn't meet that block until i think two days before the cast came because it you know had to get built and uh we had no idea what it would feel like or weigh like or i mean it was a big it was a big question um and we sat in the room we tried to do it with a little model because yeah. they gave us this tiny little model and we sat there for two days <laughs> tiny little blocks mm-hmm. making what we thought all the the pieces would be we'd said we need a couch looking block and a triangle and the triangle can be the end table and I don't think any of that stuff lasted it wasn't until we had the, the massive piece and we would he l- such a great architectural mind and so we'd make these sculptures of this of what it would be and he'd be like all right you know figure out how to yeah. get it there <laughs> go to lunch oh, it was a lot of higher math
1: but we did well in the design know what we needed the pieces to do but they also couldn't be large because people had to carry them right. so mm-hmm. you know when you make a couch it couldn't be a real couch It had to be pieces that became a couch and i loved it i mean the, i have to say it was, it was really great. it was fun and it was also he really was the one that had to do the heavy lifting though you know
4: literally you made the actors like from day one though you just you sort of said you're all going to do these blocks and it doesn't matter if you just belted your face off for five minutes you're gonna push that block across the stage so that that guy can sing his song and it just like even the playing field to make nobody nobody could be the star everybody had to participate everybody had to haul things around and it was such a fantastic way of of just having and, this you know, and the, this
1: production the actors never left the stage either which was not the case in the first production so hidden it water was very organic you know it was really a box within a box and um, it was fun yeah I didn't have to well, well.
6: kudos to your producer for giving you that access to them early mm. on because the tape out is never the same
4: <laughs> yeah you would never we had to have them thank God. <laughs> anyone any other question
2: for the Two gentlemen in the middle. Where did you grow
4: up? New York City. I've moved to New York when I was nine. I lived there since then. I was a kid actor. And where did you make your professional know, my, debut? My, the very first time I was ever on a stage was at the Golden Gate Theater in 1992 with the Will Rogers Follies. So I'm, to have the show open there tonight at is... At what age? Seven years old. <laughs> it was My first job... And my father just sent me a picture of me from opening night on the staircase in the Golden Gate Theater at Mm 7. So I'll go recreate that photo later today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that amazing? You know, it, it, what's interesting is it's tradition on this show, actually, when we open up, that we, we always share a coming out story, whatever that is. And, and we ask every, everyone, uh, allies, LGBTQ, playwrights, directors, <laughs> scientists, and everybody has a different way of uh, accepting that question. And John and I were talking in the green room and I said, I'm going ask to ask that question because, it, you know, we're probably all so diverse. Uh, and there's, there's four panelists. I don't know if they really want to answer that. But uh, as we find in the audience it's always an interest to know how you know where where did you get your start where did you grow up who are you I wanted to ask Bill his coming out story but I don't know if he wants Sorry. to share it Um
2: I uh came out in San Francisco in Berkeley actually Um after after college I was hired um to write a show in in berkeley and things happened and it it didn't work out and so i was living on milvia avenue in a, a rundown boarding house and um i'd been going to therapy in san francisco and um one night i went to a gay bar and the next day i came into san francisco and i said to my therapist i guess we're finished it's time to move back to new york i guess that's why i came out i had no idea why but that's what i'm doing out here and then did you tell your folks right away i did right away what was and my mother said i um why did you need the therapist which they were paying for. <laughs> and I said, you don't want to know. And she said, you're gay. I said, yeah. And I don't want any scenes. And so that was that was with my mother. My father just was very nice about the whole thing.
1: Did you think your mother knew you were gay?
2: No, I don't know. I kind of told her why I wanted to go to a therapist. And she said, why? On the phone. And I said, you don't want to know. And so that was my thing. I think parents know, personally. They know know-ish. My own. Oh,
1: yeah. I Denial is a very they strong thing. Well, that's probably true, too. But they still know. Yeah.
4: Mm. yeah. Maybe. I was a little dancing seven-year-old who dressed up in the chorus girls' outfits in Will Rogers Folly. And <laughs> I came out to my mom at 15, and she truly was just it was really surprised Really? Like, are you kidding me <laughs> 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 but it was not you know i always thought my mother would be so fine with it and i was scared of uh, telling my dad it was the exact opposite uh, my mom had a really hard time with my dad at, i think the first thing he said was uh i will be happy to walk you down the aisle no matter who you love or want to marry i love That's you nice. i mean it was oh, like bad. the best dad. i will say to parents the first words you say to your child after they come out mm. The most important thing—you could screw up your relationship with them forever. Uh, It took my mom and I years to recover from the first. uh, Wow!
1: Because you're young, you know. I would think, you know, Bill and I of the older generation, Uh, a whole other kind uh, of.
0: Wait, do you have a coming-out story, James?
1: I don't because I didn't (laughs) really come out. But (laughs) I kind of was sort of a hippie, kind of anything goes, kind of guy for you know in my twenties, and um, Mm. just ended up the woman but you know maybe if i had met a man that i completely adored or somehow i i just sort of believe in the fluidity of today's world right. too i think um but i think everybody's wired differently do you know some people are wired in very specific ways and other people are not and I wouldn't say I was, you know, I work in the musical theater. I mean, everybody thinks I'm gay anyway, which is fine. <laughs> I couldn't care less. And uh, I think it's just finding your soul. For me, it's finding a soulmate, you know,
0: Yep. Uh, yeah. at
1: the end of the day.
0: I find falsettos to be all of uh, everything... That you could possibly learn in your human sexualities class mm. and, you know in, in a two, packed in a Broadway show and two and a half hours, so that 's um, going to be our new ad
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I think you know if Mar- Marvin had come of age in a different era, you know he might not you know might have been open with his wife before he got you know it might have been a different scenario, uh, and I think men at that time. And women, too, did what they thought was expected of them, and they got married or they had children or whatever, and discovered later in life that really wasn't where they wanted to live um, but uh, as you say, you know everybody's story is unique in a way
0: it is so What's we your story yeah, exactly ah, we've got to hear from yeah. Jordan, then we'll swing back to our audience so um I
5: first came out in college I was a sophomore in college um and I, I, I think I say first came out because I, I, coming out is something you do constantly um, about all kinds of things. I, um, my husband and I um, went to Virginia uh, where our son was uh, to be born and... We were in this small town, not so small, but... Small small enough. Small enough. And we we were checking into the hotel. And the woman at the desk was like, so what are you doing here? And I literally froze. And I thought, oh, God. Do I say what we're doing here? And I was like, yeah. This is the most extraordinary experience, and I'm not going to cover it or lie about it or feel weird about it and I said we're here to have a baby mm. and this could have gone in any number of directions and she was like that's fantastic <laughs> are you having a boy or a girl I said we're having a boy so I have four boys how wonderful <laughs> and you know I, I think about it a lot because it was really a lesson for me that um, letting people be wonderful giving people the opportunity to be wonderful um is something we don't always do and her her being able to give me that required my coming out to her um and it's a thing we do all the time it's beautiful
0: it's exactly how it
1: how about you? <laughs> meow,
0: meow. As
4: yeah. As long as, going,
1: as long as we're going down the list here, you know.
0: Does that mean I get some alone time with the uh, uh-huh. four big talents? Because my story is really long. Oh, <laughs> yes. um, it,
1: it sounds like you—you—you know—you were born of a different culture too. You know, yeah. With your mom and
0: well, what, you know, born uh, and raised, born in Whittier, and then grew up in Stockton, California. It's an all-American city. Before you say anything. <laughs> um. <laughs> or it was in in, in 2008, but it's 80 miles east of San Francisco and, uh, you know, uh, lots of gang activity. Uh, I guess the average income is like $35,000, something Mm -hmm. like that per household. And so, you know, coming out out to my mom, a single parent who raised five kids on her own after immigrating to the United States and her husband uh, dying, uh, you know, abruptly of a, a cerebral aneurysm, my mom really thought that the ticket to a good life in America was going to be me. This when I was not out yet, you know. Where are you in hair. the five? Uh, number three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the middle. And but I'm the I'm the uh, the eldest of the three girls. were you know we have two older brothers, and so my mom was banking on me, perfect looking angel, straight A's, long jet black dark hair, slender, you know, blunt. Uh, bangs super quiet and 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 obedient so my mom was like this is it we're gonna make it in america she's gonna marry a doctor or a lawyer but one of the two and i didn't so so coming out to her yeah that's gonna be a book or a show one day maybe (laughs) yeah um but we have an audience here who want to hear from (laughs) you four
3: we have one more uh, another question here sir
6: So, first of all, I'm going to have to go back to 1992 and look at my Will rogers Holly's program and <laughs> see if I saw you in that production. You would have. So I'm pretty sure I saw it here in San Francisco. And Michelle, you just did a number on the 209. Stockton is really a beautiful city. And right. People should know that the Valley is a rich place. My question has to do with the difference between the show back in its original incarnation and now. And I, I know I saw that original show, and I probably saw it on the touring version when it was here in San Francisco or when it did California at some point in time. I know I didn't see it in New York, and I remember thinking back that the show was pretty white, and but this show I saw it last night, and I was so pleased to see that there was a person of color in your cast. And then I was fiddling around online, and apparently in New York you also cast a person of color in the show. And I wonder if that was intentional, and if that's the way you intend it to be cast. Going forward, I know it's always a director's preference about what they choose to do. Sometimes non-traditional casting can upset the, the flow of a show. This doesn't seem to be at all. I was pleased to see that the woman was there, but nothing was made of the fact that she was a person of color. She was just part of this, this constructed family. And the other question I had is, and aside from that, it's like, why are you all here? I didn't know that these people traveled with a, a show. So I'm a little bit surprised that you're here for this show. We all love this show. That's why we're here.
4: This is our official opening, so we're here to celebrate that. We've done a few cities on the way, like test, test cities, and this is where we're really putting it out there for the world. But an- you answer the first question.
1: Oh, uh, well, I think you know we live in a time where we want to be. Uh, you know, not necessarily to, o- uh, to do shows that are open to people of all all colors and backgrounds and whatnot so yeah we did make an effort and we thought that role made sense and we talked about wizard being black but we didn't actually
2: wizard has has been black in the past yeah um you know
1: it's always an interesting question um because uh this is not a new thing actually although it's very much in the zeitgeist now but uh, uh, actors equity and we've always tried to, to open up shows it's hard when you do a new show because it can be confusing to an audience to see a black person in a role that wasn't really ri- written in any particular way and then they'll believe that it's written for you know it, it, you, you just but I think audiences in New York are particularly used to not really making any distinction like that so I mean it wasn't a huge deal but yeah I mean we There's so many wonderful actors and actresses around. We had uh, the boy uh, on the tour, was Asian, Um, was from Korea, who played the bar mitzvah boy, who happened to actually be Jewish because he was adopted by a Jewish family. So, uh, you know, it's just... And he was really good. He was good. His voice changed. Unfortunately, he hit puberty midway across (laughs) America. Oh, and couldn't yeah, hit any of the notes anymore. They rewrote kind of the whole show for him. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. So, kind of like that. But I think that's the, the world we're living in now that the stage has to reflect the people in our and world.
2: And you'd much rather see a multi culty sort of show. Yep. I mean, you just would. It's more fun. It's like alive.
0: Um, sadly, we are running out of time with our great, great. Uh, Panelists our guests here today who are giving us the wonderful falsettos opening up tonight in San Francisco Uh, I just very quickly and it's the last question for all for you. And it's a quick answer. Um, but it's a it it kind of wraps up everything that we've been talking about and right now It's just such an odd time in which our identities are being used against us. We're being categorized in places We don't want to be categorized Uh, But falsettos uh, even though, you know, the first broadway show was 1992 it's timeless and it also brings out these emotions of of A lot of things of strength of hope and um, we can make family and family relationships can heal and so I do think that our our time now can heal. If you could give us uh, just a couple words of, of of what you want people to take out of it or why they should go see it tonight, um, let us know. James, I'll start with
1: uh, you. Well, you should see it because it's fun. It's really a good show. And it's got extraordinary score by this guy down here and and incredible performers. So let's just start there. If you love theater, you'll love the show. And I think... I don't ever believe in preaching to an audience. I think every audience member will walk away with something personal Mm -hmm. that speaks to them. And I think that any good piece of theater doesn't have one message. It has many messages depending on
4: who's watching it. A million stories. (laughs) Um, Love is at the heart of this show, love and family. But for me, we judge ourselves so harshly and sometimes hate our flaws and these characters are beautifully flawed and i think that's what so many people can relate to um and you can see them accepting their flaws in each other for them and finding their happiness therein that's that's what you can take away
5: that's where i connect too it's it's these are complicated people messy gloriously messy
2: just like us there are people trying not to be dicks, and they all are. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Another new ad.
0: <laughs> all right. Thank you, James, Spencer, you. Jordan, Bill, for all being here at the Commonwealth Thank Club. Thank you to you all, you, for, for being here yeah. and the show. Thanks. All right. <laughs>